Hello and welcome to Reading the Game, the podcast where baseball fans discuss the baseball books they love. This is episode six and for this episode we're going to be talking about The Art of Fielding by Chad Harback. I'm delighted to be joined this episode by Ash Day. Hi Ash. Hi Steve. Um, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? Very well, thank you. And um, I've, I've known Ash for, for a couple of years. Um, uh, he's been involved in uh, on social media. He's a he's writes a, a very good uh, Cleveland Indians blog called uh, is it Tribe Spot? England Tribe. England Tribe. England Tribe blogspot.com okay good plug <laughs> yeah and uh, and i'm also delighted to welcome phil hi phil hi steve how are you i'm all right thank you how are you very well thank you I'm looking and forward to uh, yeah i am too actually and um, this is another episode where we were fortunate enough to have been joined by the author and i actually spoke to chad harback uh, about a week ago um and why don't we give that audio listen straight off the bat um and come back afterwards and discuss and what I think we all agree is a, is a really good book. Okay. Hi, Chad. Uh, thanks for coming on. Lovely to meet you. And um, thanks for agreeing to come on the show to talk about what is a fantastic book, The Art of Fielding. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, uh, thanks Steve, for having me. No problem. Um, I want to I get started. Um, I mean, in preparation for the podcast, I read the Vanity Fair article by Keith Gesson in which he details the the process surrounding the eventual publication of the book. Can you tell us a bit about that process and perhaps about your first conception of the idea for the book? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's a long story because um, you know the time between the conception, first conception of the book and the publication was uh, eleven and then a half years. Um, so it was. Um, it was in 2000, um, and I was um, a couple years out of college and um, dreaming of becoming a writer and working on short stories and um, bumming around. And I, um, I had an idea about um, a talented baseball player who uh, who suddenly lost the ability to, to throw the baseball, developed this kind of psychosomatic disease. Um, and I just, that just, um, it was it, like, it felt like, it felt like a little bit of an epiphany for me. Like it felt like it was, uh, for the first time in my life, I had like a real idea for a novel. Um, because I, I just, I felt like this, um, the, the crisis that, um, that mental and physical problem what could would bring about in a person um could just be could just be really rich material for for fiction um and then you know i don't know i don't know how uh how deeply you want to talk about everything that happened in the next 11 and a half years you might have to you might have to tell me which um which highlights or lowlights you want to go for we've got all night we've got all night don't worry <laughs> i mean um, I was going to come on to the Steve Blast stuff later, perhaps, but um, it's really interesting you just brought it up. Was that obviously that was the central, the central uh, kind of idea that that everything else revolved around? Is it something that is it something that um, you I don't know perhaps feel transcends baseball a bit, or is it, is it something that you're particularly interested in from a baseball perspective or from outside of baseball as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it was it felt all along from the very first moment really rich to me in baseball terms and also in extra baseball terms. Um, you know, so this was, this was a, a long time ago. Now it was like, it was 2000 when I started the book and there had just been, um, several 
kind of big cases of like very talented, like all-star major league players going through something like this. Um, uh, Mark Wollers, who was a closer for the Braves, um, and Rick Ankeel, who was a starter for the Cardinals, and Chuck Knobloch, and there was just a spate of these things, and there was a big, like, I think article maybe in the New York Times Magazine about Ankeel after it happened to him, um, and it just, um, Steve Blast disease, uh, as you rightly call it, just uh, seemed to be in the air somehow, um, and uh, I, you know, I, I played, I played baseball in high school. I played, I played, uh, a lot of baseball growing up and, uh, played, played shortstop and was, um, I never, I never had exactly an acute version of that problem, but I was like a kind of, I was like a very, uh, good fielding shortstop with a pretty mediocre arm. Um, so I could kind of like pick up everything, but not make every throw. And so I was, I was familiar on a basic level with just um, the, the kind of fear that could creep into your mind when you're like, oh shit, I've got to, I got to make this, I got to make this throw now. And um, you know, and the, the, the easier the throw is, the, the greater the fear becomes. Um, so, I, so, I would, so I think as a writer, um, as a fiction writer, I was very, curious to dig into the question of what these guys are going through in that moment. Um, you know, when a guy like Mark Wohlers is on the mound, 40,000 opposing fans in the stadium, and he's just, and he's been throwing the ball over home plate literally since he was six years old, and now all of a sudden he can't do it. Um, and he's on live television uh, just utterly just humiliated and just in the, in the heat of, of just a really in, intense, like kind of, I mean, it's, you know, self-loathing and doubt and like, and just a, a kind of breakdown in front of all these people. Um, I, I just was, um, I mean, I, mean I, was, I wanted to think myself into that situation. Um, and I also felt that it was really, applicable to you know to my life or your life and applicable to like what you go through um in doing the thing you love in doing any artistic endeavor when the self-doubt starts to creep in yeah i mean i just just describing it there i just i don't know i said i said before we came on air how hot i was i just like getting chills the way you describe it, it's just it must be such an awful thing to go through uh, as a professional athlete we i think you're right we all go through it in our daily lives anyway but to have it to have it um, played out on national television, international television, must just be absolutely awful. And we had like recently the John Lester thing as well. You know, it, it keeps happening. They're not throwing it first. It keeps happening again and again and again. Um, I'm going to move on because I'm 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 shivering. Um, the, so the book has <laughs> the book has uh, the five main characters: uh, Mike Schwartz, Henry Scrimshander, Owen Dunn, and Peller. And is it? Do you say Gert or Gwert Affenlight? Uh, uh, Gwert is the way, Gwert. The way, the way Gwert. I say, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gwert, I mean, their voices, um, develop well over the course of the story, but, and you mentioned a bit about your, your background in, in being a shortstop. So there's perhaps a clue there. Is, is there, is there some of these characters came from, is there anything of yourself in any of these characters? Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, really, I, I, um, I, I wanted, um, I wanted the characters really to, have more or less equal weight to one another. Um, I wanted um, I wanted them all to feel real, and to me, um, 
to me, at a certain point, I think they all began to feel like, um, like to, or the five of them together began to feel like a, a, a make up a, a composite version of myself, um, or that you know my my self was kind of fragmented into five parts, and those were these five characters. Um, um, I, I, I yes, I, I identify with. Um, with all of them in different ways and you know and of course it's funny what happens as you get older you start to identify with different ones you know maybe i when i started the book i identified more with henry and uh by the time i finished i identified more with mike schwartz in certain ways and you know and uh with each passing day i uh, identify with uh Affenlite more and more intensely <laughs> um but um uh you know they uh, the book did the book started with with henry um, you know, because he was that talented athlete who I spoke of earlier, and that that idea was really the germ of the book. Um, you know, but but I knew from the outset that I didn't want to write a quote unquote baseball book. Um, I just wasn't I wasn't interested in doing. Um, I don't. I, I wasn't interested in doing something kind of so limited, or that's just not really. I mean, I wanted to write. Um, I wanted to write a book that anyone who is interested in in the novel um might conceivably enjoy um and so i, I and i just I, I more than that like I, I think it seemed to me boring to write a book that was just about baseball yeah. um so i um and 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 another component of this actually is that you know um henry scrimshander um the, the first character who i conceived of it's also a very difficult, kind of slippery character, um, because he's he's so embodied in his in his craft of being a shortstop, and he's not the most articulate person in the world on a, on a verbal level. Um, and so, uh, I kind of understood him to be the still center of something um, around which um, around which some other people were going to have to move. And so it was really it was really the moment when the the Affid lights showed up in the book that I that I felt like aha like now I've now I understand it now I understand the kind of scope of this project that I'm working on. Great, Did, I mean you mentioned the Affid lights there because like for me Pella, um, it seems almost as if you use her character to provide I don't know if I'd say a reality check but maybe a, like a broader perspective. Than the other characters who all seem um, they're not one dimensional characters, but they all very blinkered in their focus in their in in themselves and in in their own existence. Um, whereas Pella perhaps it has this sort of adhesive quality, perhaps, and um, she developed the, her character really develops uh, over the course of the book towards the end of the book. I mean, tell tell me about Pella a little bit. What what was that? Was that your intention? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that I in a way yes. I mean, I think that she. Um, yeah, I mean, she shows up on this campus, and she, uh, yeah, she brings a perspective of a wider world. I mean, you kind of you have all these um, these four men who are all just kind of like mired in themselves or in one another, um, and are just um, uh, kind of uh, just kind of um, <laughs> trying to think of the I'm I'm, uh, I'm failing to think of the word the, of the word for it, but yeah, they're um, she shows up and she's like these 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 dudes they're they're just so kind of lost in themselves and they're kind of the, the kind of micro dramas of their lives um and she is um 
she is to me, I think the smartest character. Um, she's the character who sees the most, who brings um, uh, a different kind of doubt to the table, who brings um, a kind of experience of the wider world. Um, and also um, just a kind of, uh, a kind of skepticism about whether the dramas that, that the other characters are engaged in are really all that important or not. <laughs> she's the only one who's not under the Westish spell. You know, she's the, she's the outsider. She comes in from the outside in the book and um, you know, she, she, she has a, she has a, um, a journey within herself about, about, about uh, becoming a Westish Westisher. I don't know what you'd say, but she, you know, she, I, I think it, I think it comes across really well that, yeah, she, she gives that, she gives that, uh, like you say, some, some uh some coverage of the wider world some uh, some knowledge of the wider world that the others seem to just be under this spell they seem to be uh mired in 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 the in the in the town or in the college a little bit which is quite interesting is, is westish it's the, the way you describe it, it it sounds like it it must be obviously not real but does it come from a real place for you does it is it is there some is there some story there yeah, it's a, well, it's um, yeah, it's a little bit of a combination. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, um, uh, and the, you know, the town that I, Racine, the city that I'm from, is um, a couple hours south of where Westish is, um, and also also on the shore of Lake Michigan. Um, so, so for me, growing up in Racine, um, the the lake was always uh, just a kind of just a kind of central part of my imaginative life, actually. Um, it all, like I, um, it all, there always was this big blue thing that just sort of gestured toward um, a wider world, <laughs> right? Um, it, that's how it always felt to me. Like here's the here here's the city um, to the to the west. Like here's the city, and here is our our daily lives, and me and everyone I know going about our business, trying to survive and make it. Uh, day by day. Um, and then here is this big blue expanse that could be anything. Um, and so that, I mean, I think that, I think that that, um, uh, that sense of the lake is very important to the book. Um, and, and the, the setting of Westish, like, uh, on the lake, just, just, you know, feels really integral to me. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and then the college is, um, you know, I, I didn't go to college in Wisconsin. I went to Harvard, but um, uh, I, a, a lot of my friends, my sister, uh, went to um, these little schools in Wisconsin. Um, so the so the, the school itself is, you know, uh, kind of composite of my own of my own college experience, and then um, and then what I know of all these kind of little Midwestern, slightly dilapidated liberal arts colleges um, <laughs> that are very endearing in their way. <laughs> And I've got to ask you about the um, the Melville connection. I mean, is there is there um, is there a is there is there some sort of message there? You know, he, he this is because in the story, obviously, he comes out and uh, spends what, one day there, does one le lecture there on a on a on a tour, um, and then they kind of remodel themselves around this idea that uh, it was an integral place in. In, in in melville's life perhaps is it is there is there some sort of uh because it's a bit of artifice isn't it from the from everybody involved at the college is sort of leaping on this this opportunity is, is there is there a message there an intended message there anyway um uh yeah i don't know about a message but the i mean i, think, I mean you're absolutely right like it, it is um it's 
like a lot of things in life, um, it's a combination of like genuine love and kind of artifice and branding and marketing, right? Um, so it's like it, they're, um, you know, the way that Westridge College has adopted Melville as their sort of uh, their adoptive father um, uh, of the school is, I mean, it's, it's, it's really heartfelt. Um, uh, he, they have the, the statue on campus is, and there's a great um, love of his work and a great reverence toward Melville. And at the same time, it's this, um, it's clearly this sort of goofy branding thing that they did in the seventies to um, try to boost the, you know, the reputation or the <laughs> Q score or whatever of this, of this little school. Um, uh, you know, and then, I mean, for, for me, of course, it's, for me, it's, it's deeply um, heartfelt. And I, I was um, from, I didn't, when I started the book, I didn't know that Moby Dick was going to hang um, so thoroughly in the background of it. Um, but it just, that association just came to seem uh, really important to me early on. Um, uh, the way that, um, you know, that, that the analogy seemed to me to be very strong between, um, between the members of a baseball team um, going through, sailing through a season together, you might say, mm. um, and, and, the, uh, and the men on a, on a whaling ship who you know, go off on this great voyage. And, you know, because anyone who's, anyone who like has played a season of competitive sports with any intensity, like knows that um, you, you're just, teammates don't always get along. Teammates don't always, um, you know, we tend to think of like jocks as this um, kind of a uniform monotonous category, right? But in fact, like jocks are as uh, diverse as any other category of people in the world. And, and you, um, you know, you're gonna be on a team with people you hate, people you love, people you would never associate with if you weren't on this team with them. Um, and the, but the, but the, progress of being on like a really competitive team the, the progress through a season it's like it's really a crucible and you just spend a ton of time with these people um so for me uh, like that that sounds an awful lot like uh, you know the way that um the way that the that uh you know uh that ishmael and uh, queequeg and all their friends are, th are thrown together on the pequod and um just forced to really get to know one another um so I, so i so for me moby dick was a, and, and also just moby dick just being the kind of preeminent uh american novel about about male relationships about male friendship about male love um uh it just seemed it just seemed really um to hang in the background of what I was doing in an important way. And so I, I wanted, but I wanted the novel to, to wear that, uh, wear that coat very lightly. Um, so, I, so, you know, all the ways in which the college adopts Melville as their grandfather, I wanted it all to be in a slightly, um, in, in a light and, and sometimes humorous vein, as opposed to this like heavy, elusive literary thing. But I think, I think like a lot of things in the book, um, it, it works on a number of levels because, um, somebody who's not familiar at all with Moby Dick, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't detract from their enjoyment of the book yet. Someone who's, you know, someone who's perhaps a scholar or, or someone who's knows a lot about Melville and his work would, would, would maybe uh, enjoy bits of that more. I mean, I think, I think you can say the same about the actual baseball in the book. I mean, to, to the book's credit, um, it's a book, 
it's a baseball book on in a book about baseball, a book that features baseball. But um, I encouraged my wife to read it, and uh, she 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 actively dislikes baseball, and she really enjoyed the book. And I've got friends who are completely indifferent to baseball who've who've read the book, um, and and it hasn't detracted from their enjoyment of the book. Do you think that? Do you think that it could have worked? Do you think it could have worked without the baseball? And um, perhaps you've already talked a little bit about the, the the mentality of the team and the and and the varsity sports. I mean, perhaps the different question would be. Is there something unique about baseball and the way it's played that 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 had to be in this book? You couldn't have done this, say, with football or or, or lacrosse or another sport. Do you know what I mean? Is it, does, is, there, is there something unique about baseball that 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 with the uh, that helps to to communicate the book? Um, yeah, I, do, I think there. I do think that there is, and I mean, for for me, um, that defining feature is the way that baseball um, is. On the one hand, uh, a true team game, and on the other hand, a highly individual endeavor. Um, you know, and I talk about this quite a bit in the book. Just the way that you know, the way that Henry, when he's out there on shortstop, he is alone. Um, he is a man on an island when that ball gets hit to him, and he has to he he has to field it and make that throw to first base. Everybody else on the field. It, uh, except for the batter who's running to first base is just watching him at that, at that moment. Um, so for me, I mean, baseball really, um, it combines um, a true team game where you have that camaraderie and rivalry and, and uh, cooperation and um, everything that happens on a team combined with this, um, this quality of isolation, this quality of being on the stage uh, with the hot lights on you, and are you going to remember your lines or not? Um, and that you know, and that's something that um, you know, because when we think about when we think about Steve Blast disease, when we think about the yips, when we think about this um, this encounter with self doubt, um, you know, it tends to happen in these kind of static moments of isolation, like um, yeah, in, in other sports, um, you know, in uh, in you might think you know taking a penalty taking a penalty kick shooting a free throw um you know a, a golfer standing over a putt um uh you know it could happen to tennis players because uh, a lot because you know tennis players are all alone out are all alone out there um it, it it's not something that tends to happen in the flow of a of a football game or a basketball game or a hockey game when um you know when you could just sort of run around and crash into someone right <laughs> there yeah. are there are moments there are moments in sports like as in life when you can really get by on sheer effort and hustle <laughs> um and that's what happens you know when you're kind of just running around the football field right or running around the basketball basketball court um but then there then there are these moments when trying harder is the last thing that's going to help you, <laughs> um, and, and baseball actually has a has a lot of those moments embedded within it. <laughs> yeah, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide on a baseball field. I suppose you're in the you're in the spotlight, uh, perhaps more so than any other team game, as you said. Like, I mean, I know I know I talked about it just 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 before about how the how the how the book appeals to both baseball and and non baseball fans. It was one of the things I liked best as a baseball fan was. Um, was the sports writing in it i mean the 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 actual description of the games and the action and and of specific plays i mean is there was it for you the writer was it something you were conscious of 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 wanting to perhaps appeal to people like me who would you know really enjoy reading that kind of thing 
but simultaneously making it accessible enough to people who had no interest in baseball. Was there was it was it something you were very conscious of when you were writing, or did it just sort of happen naturally? Yeah, I think I was. I think I was very. Con- I think I. I think I. I very much wanted it to be that way. You know, I mean, one of the, the 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 first and probably still the best compliment I ever got about the book um, was um, when I. Uh, I, I gave it to a close friend to read um, before I started setting it around to um, to agents, and um, and he, uh, my friend Keith, was reading the book, and his then girlfriend uh, Emily was was kind of reading at some point started kind of reading over his shoulder, and and she um, she got engrossed in it and and read the book and and was reading reading reading, and at, and at a certain point um, stopped and turned to Keith and said, "I just have one question: What's a shortstop?" <laughs> um, so so I so that was I mean that was like the you know kind of the first best response, and I was like, okay, like you know you don't actually need to know about baseball to um, to to care about what's going on in this book. Um, you know, but but at the same time, for me, a, a person who just like you know, like, I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, my my friends and I from our earliest days, just um, you know, obsessed with sports, playing sports, watching sports, obsessed with sports on every level. Um, you know, just um, uh, reading sports, what a Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, reading. Um, just everything I could get my hands on about sports all throughout my, you know, childhood, adolescence, um, you know, into adulthood, having a head that's like just uncomfortably stuffed with like the names of retired players and minor statistics and things. Um, I definitely, um, you know, I, I know how quick I am um, as a, uh, uh, as a, a fan and an athlete to tune out, something that doesn't get the sports right on every level Mm. um you know i I know that i'm just i i can become mistrustful of a writer in an instant right um so uh you know and and also i think you know fictionally speaking um there aren't really that many novels of sports that i had ever really gravitated to or loved um you know so i i felt um you know, I don't think there are that many novels about sports that really aspire to um, be really excellent and complex, you know, works of fiction. And there, you know, there are only a few out there that I really admire. Um, you know, so I just, I, I felt that there was room to do more of that. <laughs> I suppose it's one of the things we love about sport is that it defies, it defies being written it defies somebody inventing it 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 it, it, it's it's beyond that in a sense isn't it that it writes its own script in a sense i mean speaking of um speaking of not enjoying or tuning out of of uh of 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 art or work when it when when they don't get the sport right i mean i've i've read that there's a film adaptation of the book in the pipeline is is it first of all i mean what's the deal there and 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 also you know would it be something that you'd have to be very conscious of getting right on screen all of the action because there's a considerable amount of baseball action in in the book isn't there uh yeah yeah i mean yes um yeah i'm i am you know the the the, the adaptation history of the novel is a long one because it's been um it's been in development un- under one project or another ever since the book came out um uh at the moment um we are i think really close to close to having some concrete news. Um, and I'm hoping that there will be some concrete news very soon. 
Um, I yeah the so the but the actually the uh, executive producer of the project that we're working on currently, Mike Tolan, um, is a guy who I can tell you knows like. 10 times more about baseball than I do. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think, um, I don't wanna, I don't wanna misstate this, but I think that he actually like began his career as a writer and director for MLB films. Um, so I think that um, when we, yeah, when, if this uh, project can get itself uh, to home plate pretty soon, so to speak, um, I think it will definitely be in really good hands with regard yeah. to the to the baseball. <laughs> it sounds like it's in safe hands. And I mean, just, just wrapping up, because I'm very conscious of time, but I know you're still involved at uh, N Plus One uh, magazine. Are you, are you working on anything book length at the moment? Are you, is, uh, there, yeah. is, there, is there something uh for, for for chad harbeck fans to get excited about uh yeah I, I hope so i mean there's a there's a project that i'm excited about i am um you know i've, I've been working on a novel um since 2013 um that um i am uh yeah hoping will be hoping will be uh, completely finished within certainly within a year from now um so uh, yeah again another another long running project that um i hope there will be some some good and concrete news about very soon any base um, any baseball uh, in that no uh no no baseball whatsoever <laughs> i mean you talked a little bit um earlier about the the characters having them inside your head for such a long time is there is there an extent to which they still live inside your head now the 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 main characters in in the art of fielding do you still think about yeah them? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I, I really, I, I do. I think, you know, like I said, that the 11 plus year gestation period of the book, um, you, you really, uh, you really get to know these people. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, they're, they're just very, very close to me in a way that will, <laughs> that will never cease. And, you know, and, and as for what, you know, and as I, even after those 11 plus years, then going around and like talking to talking to people, doing the long press junket, like getting to talk to audiences, crowds about it. Um, you know, just talking to, just getting to, you know, it's 11 years in my own head and then, you know, and then getting to talk to readers about it. And then, you know, and then these various um, development projects, none of which have quite come to fruition yet. Um, they, uh, they are people who I probably could not expunge from my head, even if I wanted to at this point. <laughs> They'd all be in their thirties now, and they're like coming into their mid thirties now. I wonder what they're. I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> I'm hoping Henry's had a, a a long and successful career um, in the bigs, but well, we'll see. Where do you, do you, do you ever? It sounds like a crazy question. Do you ever think about what they might be doing now? Feel free to say no. By the way, uh, I um, I do, I do, I do from time to time. They're not, you know, they're not quite. It's it's only been uh, it's what been. Coming I suppose, on eight no, years. Yeah, goodness, yeah, coming I suppose. Up, eight, coming, eight years, eight years. They're eight coming, years, to the, yeah. coming to their 20s, coming to yeah. their 20s. Yeah, so Henry's, yeah. You know, Henry could conceivably be be right in the prime of his uh, career at the moment. <laughs> Build, building that Hall of Fame career, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right, listen, it's so nice to have talked to you. Um, thanks very much for coming on, and I wish you all the best, first of all, with the book, and then I'm really excited uh, about a potential film adaptation as well. I think that would be amazing for for, for, for fans of the book. Uh, to get an opportunity to see so um thanks very much chad yeah thanks steve thanks for reading and uh thanks for having me no problem cheers, cheers. okay well it's great to hear from chad 
all about his book and some really exciting things that he mentions at the end of the interview there about things that are perhaps in the pipeline in the in the time to come and um, should we we could get back into discussing the book though i mean uh, should we start with you ash how and when did you come to the book and what were your first impressions so i was very lucky upon the book's release i was working in a bookshop at the time and we were lucky one morning to have a visit from the british publishers we had fourth estate come to our office that day and they had a bunch of new books, bunch of new titles they were going to be releasing that year. And when one of the publishers got around to saying, oh, we've got this book about baseball um, set in the American Midwest, I my ears pricked up and I was like instantly, that sounds like a bit of me. And they started talking about the art fielding and Chad, Chad Harback's book and the storm it was causing in the States. Um, the more they described it, the more I knew I had to get my hands on this advanced first edition, this lovely, lovely edition of the book. Um, and I fell in love with it straight away. Being a huge baseball fan, I knew I was going to love all the baseball stuff. Um, and yeah, first impressions. I mean, I could reread the first three or four chapters over and over. Chad writes the the baseball segments so well. But yeah, I wasn't letting anybody else in that bookshop get their hands on that book. <laughs> I've seen the. Uh, I've seen. I, I I don't know what it was. I can't remember why it was, but I I remember seeing on Twitter a photo that you'd put up of load of. Was it your favorite books or some favorite baseball books? And I think I did a piece about some baseball books for Bats and Nerds. And I took a photo of just a, a very small portion of my baseball bookshelf. I've got way too many baseball books. My wife would agree. But uh, on that picture, on the, you, you saw the spine of the art of fielding. Yeah. And I think you, you eagle eye spotted it. And yeah. Yeah, it's a really nice addition. Really it nice addition. Um, how about you, Phil? Uh, I first heard of it when I was working at uh, the bookseller magazine and, uh, you know, news of this big advance going um, was heard around the office. I can't remember if we did a news story on it because we thought it's a baseball book, like who, who in the UK reads baseball, like the, the, the magazine was uh, purely based in the UK pretty much. So I'm not entirely sure we did a story on it at the time when it kind of went for this big advance, but um, one of my colleagues on the um magazine tom uh he's a he's a big boston red sox fan uh he got an opportunity to interview the author i think it was in late 2011 um and yeah so the book obviously like resonated with me it's literary fiction it's uh, written by an american guy and it's about baseball what's there not to like um and then uh, I didn't buy it because it was only on a hardback and I wasn't fortunate enough to get my hands on an advanced reading copy. Um, <laughs> so I kind of forgot about it. And it was only when um, we it was up for discussion in the podcast that I got around to reading it about a month or so ago. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's so funny in parts. And it's like quite dark um, and darkly comic. But I was genuinely laughing out loud on public transport Ross reading it to and from work. Um, and I'm ha ha happy to report it's already gone straight into uh, my top 10 favorite novels of all time. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I know, right? I know, I know. Um, the girl with the dragon tattoo might have to make way. <laughs> I, um, I remember it coming out distinctly. I remember there being a big splash about it and reading things and uh, in, in reading things about it at the time and sort of being very excited about it because of its baseball content um and i 
I don't think I owned a copy of it. I I uh, I I borrowed it from the library. I remember reading it quite quickly because it's quite it's actually quite it's actually quite a long book. It's about more than five hundred pages, I think. Mm. Uh, but I do remember reading it uh, very quickly and uh, and very very much enjoying it at, at the time. And then coming back to it about six or eight weeks ago when it was something that we were you know wanting to make sure we were going to cover in the in the podcast and and revisiting it and enjoying it just as much the second time in fact bits of it that i didn't remember very well from the first time um struck me even more the second time and uh, and i think the depth of some of the characters perhaps i didn't remember very well but having more having it more fresh in my mind i have to say i um yeah i really enjoyed it too um so that's good i'm glad that we all enjoyed it um the book i mean we've discussed haven't we about spoilers and things perhaps not wanting to do spoilers but we're quite a lot of what we're going to talk about i expect is is things that people who will be able to access without having read the book um perhaps we'll agree that if there's something we're going to talk about that we think might be a spoiler we just say there's going to be a spoiler which is not normal for this podcast because most of the stuff we cover is non-fiction and <laughs> kind of feel like you don't have spoilers in nonfiction as much anyway we'll plow on um the book has five it's not a spoiler to say that the book has five main characters mike schwartz henry scrimshander owen dunn and pella and guet affenlight uh, pella is guet's daughter and guet's the, the professor uh, on campus at westish college which is a fictional um fictional campus in the midwest which we talked about a little bit with uh, with chad those voices develop quite distinctly over the course of the story. Do you think that they're all believable voices? We'll start again with you, Ash. I think on the whole, uh, they are believable. I think it's a tribute to Harbach's writing and the quality of his writing that they are such believable characters. Um, they're very easy to fall for, and especially someone like Henry, like his journey. Um, going from from rags to riches back to rags again without spoiling it <laughs> uh, but yeah I would say they're very believable characters I would say um, Pella being the lone the, the lone female character is perhaps maybe a bit underdeveloped she is kind of maybe defined by the men in her life um, she has a divorce her relationship with her dad her relationship with Henry and Mike and um, so she doesn't maybe get as much time to shine on her own but other than that i would i would say uh yeah they're very believable characters and i think that's a, a a part of the success of the novel is you can just really really feel the authenticity coming through harbeck's writing they all yeah they they and they are distinctive um voices as well aren't they, they i think they were quite rounded characters in terms of their development what what did you think phil mm. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think they are all very distinctive, and I completely agree with Ash's comment about uh, Pella being um, a, a vehicle to kind of tell the male stories, perhaps in in the book, like yeah. people interact with her. But uh, she, yeah, she is maybe less developed. Um, so whether or not they're believable, uh, I I think the thing that I would reiterate is that this is a, a work of literary fiction and so certain things that are commonplace um in literary fiction might not feel believable or feel kind of natural i'm thinking like in particular that quite a lot of the characters are very uh talkative they're very erudite uh they're very loquacious they um speaking speaking like long paragraphs or or monologues and in reality that doesn't really happen like i think if you were to if you were to uh 
listen in on a conversation between three people at university you'd you'd see a lot of interrupting you'd see a lot of people like clipping each other's sentences um you would uh hear a lot of stutters you'd hear you know words like like <laughs> used too much and kind of filler words as well but you don't really you don't really get that in in a novel because actually it's really it's really difficult to explain that kind of like language dynamic uh, on the page it just wouldn't work if somebody was to kind of write up um, a conversation that actually actually takes place at university and all the interruptions and dot, dot, dots and people talking over each other. I don't think it would really work. Um, but I'm kind of willing to forgive literary fiction, that kind of, that kind of um, yeah, vehicle for, for, for storytelling in order to, to move it on. So yeah, some of the, I noticed some of the reviews that said they've turned their nose up at, at being a, a literary, a, lit, a, a literary novel rather than it being a baseball novel. But um, that's sort of the reason why I'm like it. I think it's interesting you talk about the their their I mean I'd spoke about their voices in in the character sense but the lots of the way that they talk and their mm. their, their verbosity is is something which is I kind of when especially reading it for the second time it kind of made me think of uh made me think of my university experience and uh and I kind of yearned to be on campus in the Midwest mm. um it, you know it it kind of made me think it helped. It reminded me of things that happened when I was at university, and then made me just weirdly sort of transpose my memories onto a fictional um, sort of uh, leafy campus in Westish. And I kind of I put myself there. And from that point of view, it, I suppose I would say it was believable and unbelievable at the same time. It's kind of what I wanted my university experience to be mm. in 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 lots of ways. Um, I was talking to somebody about the book and they said they didn't they didn't feel like the characters were very real and I think it was because they're not believable in a British university in a British varsity sense we just don't have that kind of I mean I suppose it depends what university you went to but you didn't necessarily have that jocks um, and nerds kind of thing that you you maybe ascribe to American university experience a little bit more. I know none of us have been to a university in America, so we're not particularly well qualified to discuss it, but um, I yeah, think I was I'm rambling. Lucky. I think I was especially lucky. I had a very rural university campus and I'd only graduated a year or two after this book's release. So I was quite, and my university campus even had a lake just like Westish. <laughs> So it was quite good to be able to transport my mental images of where I was living and studying onto this book. So that was nice. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's uh, thinking about it. Actually, my university there was there was a lot of sport, but it wasn't. It didn't have the same sort of feel. Um, but anyway, I think we're digressing slightly. I mean, do 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 either of you have a favourite character? I know you both mentioned about Pella, Pella being slightly underdeveloped. Perhaps do, is there a, is there a favourite character from the book for either of you? Start with you, Ash. I think. I'm so torn between Henry and Schwartz. Like they're they're complete opposites, but I I almost can't choose between them. It's like choosing your favorite child. I think Henry's journey is so captivating, and I think you can't. I think it's hard to separate one from the other because Schwartz, over the course of the story, especially the early part of the story, he is responsible for molding Henry into the the adult he becomes. But then Schwartz has his own narrative as things start to go a bit wrong and he has to assess his own life. Um, but I just, I love the way Harbach writes Schwartz. He's just so persistent. He doesn't give up on Henry. Um, and yeah, the, the whole story of Henry going from, from this gifted shortstop in the field to a, a complete prospect 
um, and the attention that comes with is 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 very good. Um, I I can't pick between them. I, I love them both. Henry and Schwartz are, are my guys. How about you, Phil? Uh, I thought Schwartz was a was a superb character. Um, his story from where he like he, he spots Henry and then kind of takes him under his wing and wants to train him up and how he treats other members of the team um, was fascinating. And his whole arc was fascinating. Um, and there was a particular point towards the end of the book. Uh, I'm going to say spoiler alert at this point. Um, so bear with me. Where And it's when Henry is speaking to uh, a shrink, basically. And um, the shrink says, uh, the shrink's name is, is Dr. Rachel, says that the, the ethically dubious things Henry had done, sleeping with Pella, quitting the team, were justifiable and even borderline heroic because they asserted his independence from Schwartz. Dr. Rachel's considered an oppressive, tyrannical, Oedipal <laughs> figure in Henry's life, an assessment confirmed for her once and for all when Henry told the story of his and Schwartz's first meeting and the name that Schwartz had called him, Pussy. And uh, yeah, I thought that was, a, that was a great paragraph that just summed up the character of Schwartz. And I think you could read a lot from, from, from just those, those short sentences. There's some real American dreamism in, um, in, in Schwartz as well, isn't there? You know, the, the, way that he, the way that he drives from Chicago to Westish um, to meet Henry's dad for mm. lunch, take him out for lunch. Oh, yeah. And uh, and that some of the some of the words that he's talking about sacrifice and and things like that and, and mm. dedication and and that was that I th- I thought that played really really well uh, really underpinned um, a lot about what was fantastic about Schwartz but I really I really liked how his relationship with the brown Manila envelopes um, mm. the the ultimately um, uh, the rejection letters from all the different colleges that he was applying for that that whole thing played really well in my mind as well. Um, but in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of a, of, a, of a favorite, um, it's difficult to look past that Mike and Henry relationship, but it, it's, it, I think Owen Dunn, uh, for me, you feel you talked at the top there about the humor, mm. uh, in it. Owen Dunn provides a lot of the, um, yeah. a lot of the, the laughs for me, his character is very, very comic. Um, yeah. yeah, I wonder. I wonder where he came from as a character because he's he's so, he's so blasé and uh, not really interested in putting in effort. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a scene where uh, I I haven't got it to hand, but the but the coach really loved Owen because he uh, he was really easy to manage because he was just there. He turned up. He did what he did. He read books in the dugout. He didn't really pay attention, but um, he just did his did his job. So it didn't take a lot of managing. Um, but yeah, he was a he was a great character, and he did have a lot of really funny lines. And I think as well, I mean. We should, I mean, it's just like you said about um, the choosing between your favourite children. It's difficult because you, you you do want to mention Pella. She's. I think I talked a little bit about it with with um, with Chad. You know, she does have this adhesive quality. She does bring everybody together. Um, and obviously, she. You could say that you could say that she's just a, a vehicle for the other characters. But I don't know. She's she's on a, her own voyage of self discovery as well. After you know having quite a difficult last few years, and it is quite interesting seeing her. I love her relationship with Chef Spiridakis. Mm. I think that works. Yeah. I think that works really, really nicely. Um, she's very much wants to. She very much wants to um, be develop a sense of independence from men and from from everybody. Really, 
uh, her her joy at receiving her first salary check, her first paycheck. I don't know how old she's like twenty four, and she receives her first actual paycheck, and how excited she is about it. Uh, I thought that I thought that I thought that played really well in the book. She's definitely the most mature character, I think, as well. And I think actually you talked about that um, in your interview that she is there as a as a kind of conscience or to to sort of guide people in the same way that Schwartz was also guiding Henry in many ways. And Henry kind of fell into that and actually quite enjoyed it, that she was also there to kind of broaden his horizons a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. She was, she had, she had that wider world kind of view, didn't she? Yeah. Um, I might say oh, cynical, I suppose. Yeah. But well, she's sort of more world weary than the rest yeah, of them. They've yeah, almost, yeah, they've, yeah. They've, they're in this Westish, Westish, Westish bubble, <laughs> uh, which, they, which they all seem to be weirdly seem to be a little bit aware of as well. And they sort mm. of re- revel in it. It's quite, it's quite a secure little bubble for them. So she comes along and, and, and pops it in a way, I suppose. I wanted to go back, um, if it's okay, to something that you said about um, Schwartz recognizing Henry's talent. Because uh, very, very early on, um, he, I can't remember the actual wording of it, and um, I'm not going to quote from it, unfortunately, but he, he sort of goes over to Henry and is kind of bound over by his awesome talent and uh, senses that he's in the presence of greatness and that he identifies that in himself that he'll never he'll never possess that greatness. And so he's kind of compelled to compelled to experience it firsthand is that something either of you have ever experienced before that sort of knowledge of witnessing something which is so remarkable in another human being you know that you know it's something special it's tricky i don't think i've ever been witness to it in person to the same extent as henry and schwartz i think there was always that time when you're at school or university and maybe you're playing football and there's always that kid that's like another level and you're like, oh, he, he could go far. And he, he probably won't, he probably never did, but there's always that like aura around them that they could do anything with the ball and they're like this transcendent talent. Um, but yeah, probably never come across it in my career that I, I could be a Schwartz and latch onto them. How about you? Yeah. How about you, Phil? Certainly, I've certainly never been... I felt like I've been in the presence of greatness, but certainly never to the extent that I felt like I could have a conversation with that person yeah. and do what Schwartz did, which is to go up and go like, holy crap, you're really good at this game. So like my favourite writer uh, is Paul Auster, and I've had the fortune to um, see him speak a couple of times. Oh, no, I know, once was he, he gave a lecture, another was, was a book signing, uh, and the other time I, and I attended an event that his wife was speaking at she's also a writer and he was there and i just remember like feeling really clammy and kind of going oh my god i'm standing i like i'm standing this close to greatness the great one of the greatest american novelists of all time and all three times i completely choked i never i didn't say a single word to him even the even the time when i went to a signing i just kind of like pushed the book in front of him <laughs> and then was like <laughs> and then just kind of walked off um and then yeah forever felt ridiculous about it and that i should have spoken up so i think that's the, that's the, that's the only time that i've ever or the only three times that i've ever been like so overawed by like meeting a hero kind of moment and then absolutely choking i had a similar experience with the novelist patrick dewitt who wrote the sisters brothers mm-hmm. i met him for a signing and me and a friend asked if he wanted to go for a pint in the nearby pub and you could see he desperately wanted to but his publicist <laughs> was like no no he's got a train to catch and it was like oh come on he wants a drink <laughs> good on you for uh that's yeah that's ballsy i suppose yeah, that, um you've got a, you've got you've got a touch of the mike schwartz in you for sure yeah, maybe. <laughs> um and then 
What, what about you, Steve? You've seen well, you've seen Nicholas Bentner play live. In the, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> greatest striker ever lived. I've seen. I've I've seen. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I was I was thinking about it. I was always thinking about it more in a sporting context, and I kind of have to talk about you know what you were saying, Ash, about being around players at youth level of football who were just just you know so much better than everybody else. Um, I do actually. I did actually play against and with some guys who wanted to play professional football. But weirdly, they were they at the time. This sounds like a massive brag, but they <laughs> that at the time they they weren't they weren't particularly special. You know, they they that that's what that's what's weird about it. They they at thirteen fourteen they weren't much better than anybody else. I think that what made them make it to. Um, um, we need names. Name them. Well, one one was one <laughs> one. I actually played um, in central midfield for for Hackney under 11s quite a long time ago, and uh, Lloyd Doyley was the right back, and he he went on to play for Watford, and I think mm. he's like their their leading appearance wow. uh, maker or something. He played like well over 200 games, 300 games, something like that for them. And as an 11 year old, 12 year old, he like he was not the outstanding player on that team at all. You know, he wasn't. Um, and if he's listening to the history, <laughs> I'm quite, quite confident, quite confident, A, that he's not listening to this. But even if he was listening to this, I don't think he'll be uh, hitting me up to say, hang on a sec. He was the best player on the team because he would he would say it himself. He wasn't the most talented player on that team, but he, he made it. And um, did he have the physique and, of, a you know, six? Well, not maybe no, he, he was quite six, no, years old. He but. wasn't. There was nothing that marked him out as 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 bigger, stronger, better, faster, anything. He, it was. Mm. Um, I mean, he 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 made it definitely. I mean, he didn't make it to the absolute. He wasn't Henry Scrimshander. That's what I'm saying. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't. Mm. He wasn't a, an amazing talent. I'd be surprised if many of the people listening to this podcast have even heard of him. But he he played successfully at the at the in top flight for quite a long time. And obviously Watford spent some of that time outside of the top flight. But yeah, no, he was a successful f- footballer and made a living from professional football. Uh the other one was Leon Knight. And he, he was uh, and he I play he he played for Tower Hamlets when I played for Hackney. And he was a very controversial figure uh who sort of fell into obscurity. But he was signed as a 16-year-old for Chelsea for a million pounds. And at that time, it was like, wow, that was remarkable. But again, I'd played with him at eleven, and um, he wasn't—he wasn't outstanding at eleven. He probably was outstanding at sixteen, but I—I I, I never really saw that. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose it's other people you just sort of—you sort of see famous people, and you're struck by their celebrity. But this is—that's—that's that's different from they have this sort of aura. But that's different because what Schwartz sees in in Scrimshander. Blimey, I'm struggling with my uh, shh sounds today. Um, what what he sees in Scrimshand is different, isn't it? It's not it's it's not a celebrity. It's not it's not an aura. It's it's like a sort of artistic sort of beauty appreciation. It, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in his in his ability, and, and it sort not, of t- turns into jealousy at one point. It's well, I, th- I thought that was the route that was going to go down, and uh, you know, he, he kind of struggles with the, with the jealousy or the the success that Henry starts to have. Uh, in terms of like being noticed by scouts, I thought that was quite interesting. Well, there's the whole thing, isn't there? When his Henry's carrying this bottle of um, bottle of uh, whiskey around, I think his whiskey. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then they, they have this conversation, and there's that there's that underlying sense of jealousy that that comes through there. Mm. Um, but yeah, but he masks it quite well. And if he is jealous, then he's a he's he's a good you know he's good jealous because he he really does give Henry a massive leg up and gets him to somewhere where. I, don't think we we're not led to believe he would have got there by himself so yeah um yeah um 
well that yeah i mean that's that we went off a little on a little bit of a tangent there, talking about youth <laughs> football but that's but but that in a sense it, it was a remarkable thing for him to see this player doing this remarkable act in the field and and weirdly it wasn't just it wasn't a baseball thing it wasn't as if he was because plenty of other people didn't identify that in scrim shander when he was however old you know when he was in that mm. tournament loads of people would have said oh he's he's a decent fielder he's a good fielder but he couldn't make an impression with the bat and he wasn't he wasn't a, the all-round package that so many people destined for greatness in baseball would be at that age so yeah i don't know it was a i thought that was quite an interesting quite yeah. an interesting thing i liked that i think when Schwartz first meets Henry, he's very much a one-tool player, as scouts would say. Mm -hmm. Like fielding is everything, and the fact he takes him under his wing and develops every other aspect of his game to make him this all-around leader of the team. Yeah, I just, I, I just love that journey. Like that they go to, then they go on it together. Like they're they're both they're both equally responsible for Henry's success, and so it's understandable later in the book when Mike and he does start to get jealous of the the monster he's created almost. Yeah, and the jealous, and again, spoiler alert, but the jealousy will presumably have something to do with the relationship that Henry develops with uh, with Pella as well. So that kind yeah. of that's his, but that's more about pride. That's not that's that's that that's different to his baseballing ability, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think also by that stage in the book, Henry uh, Mike's gradually coming to terms with the idea that his role is perhaps to help other people achieve their greatness mm. rather than um, rather than being destined himself for any sort of sense of greatness um yeah the other thing which i wanted to sort of get your ideas on i'd be getting a bit introspective but that sense of um there's a central idea in the book obviously is part of henry's um henry's gradual deterioration uh, into like quite severe um depression and becomes quite troubled is the is this it's sold quite in a quite a funny way. This Steve Blast disease, his yips that he develops, mm. uh, just as his poise to tie um, Aparicio Rodriguez. I mean, uh, who is Aparicio Rodriguez? Do we have any idea about who he might be? On Baseball Reference, they say he's like a he's uh, a blend, isn't he? Yeah, he's a blend of uh, Luis Aparicio and uh, and, and Ozzy Smith. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, he's a great. Apparition—it's a fantastic character, actually, Such like a, a peripheral name. character. Yeah, and also his <laughs> the art of fielding, the actual book, the the, the, the oh, little yeah. quotes, the little quotes that are scattered through the <laughs> yeah. book are are at, for me some of the finest um, yeah. comic moments in the book. Mm. But as as Henry's drawing close to tying his um, his errorless streak, he develops the yips, and um, I was just interested to see if any of you guys have experienced the yips in I mean, obviously we're not professional baseball players but um have you ever had to overcome a problem or a mental block of a similar sort of scale we could start with you phil this time uh talking to paul Oster, uh <laughs> and talking to girls as a teenager <laughs> those were my yips um so, have you overcome your yips no i'm still scared of well yeah <laughs> anyway you're still scared of teenage often, girls yeah still scared of teenage girls um no, thankfully, <laughs> I can't think of any 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 time when I've had to have overcome a mental uh, uh, like a mental block in that way. Um, and I always feel really it, it, reading the book and reading the examples that they give in the book of of, of real life baseball players who have uh, suffered the yips made me go on YouTube and find examples of this. And it is really excruciatingly painful to 
watch some of it. That is the um, word for it, excruciating. It's yeah. Horrible. It, it's, it, I, I had to pause at some points because it, it was, especially like in, in for Rick Ankiel in game one of the, was it um, a championship series or divisional series that, it, it, you know, when you've got the glare of the cameras on you, it's, 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 it must be horrible. And what about outside of, but nothing outside of baseball for in your own personal life? Because yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I, I, the the John the John Lester one was the recent one in yeah, baseball. Yeah. I think which was which I but I but I think I kind of found that quite funny because I um, <laughs> because because it because it was partly because nobody was willing to exploit it very much. It was yeah. only, it, so for me that was he was kind of being allowed to get away with it and 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 in that sense it that was quite that was quite funny um how about you ash just dig deep dig deep on your uh on your, your inner inner psyche okay. i don't think i ever had the yips quite to the extent henry did um i never had to pee in a bottle like henry did after his latest yips episode but i think i don't i definitely know the one yips thing i had when i worked in a bookshop was whenever somebody went to spell their name to me, I just I just could not register the letters. Someone want to order a book, and I go, okay, what was your surname, please? And as they said it, naturally very fast, because it's their own surname, they're very familiar with it, and it would literally just come through my head, like blah, 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 blah. Like, Sorry, can you say that again, please? And they'd slow it down to the the, the most like demeaning level ever, and I'm still like, so, so that was S-M-I-T-H, was it? That's my yips. It's just uh, trying to take down someone's name. Uh, I just, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> no, especially not over the phone with like the uh, um, the phonetic the phonetic phone. alphabet. That would yeah. be yeah. Yeah. that. I mean, yeah, that would be awful. I don't. I. It's a real cop out to say I don't. I don't think I've ever experienced a like a recurring thing. But I certainly. I mean, I was discussing this actually with uh, with some people over the weekend. I was at a wedding this weekend, and I had to. I actually had to. Um, he actually was marrying the 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 couple um if, wow. if that make, if that makes sense but it was they were not officially they were already legally married they wanted me to sort of preside over their ceremony and loads of people were saying to me beforehand are you a little bit nervous and i was like no i'm, I'm okay i'm okay mm. i'm fine and then it was, are you sure you're not nervous and they're saying it so much and so many people saying oh you how are you feeling how are you feeling made me think perhaps i should be a little bit nervous about this and i did generate a sense of nervous excitement and then i did it and i but I didn't feel, I felt absolutely fine during, during it. Um, but there was a sense, a couple, there was a little bit of a, I wouldn't describe it as an outer body thing, but you kind of, you do, you do kind of glaze over a little bit when everybody's looking at you and you've kind of, you've got to say something, you're front and center. And that's happened to me a few times in my life, deliver, delivering speeches or, you know, uh, presenting or um, another one was when I had an, my first Ofsted inspection when I was a very junior teacher and I was incredibly nervous. That sense of you got you kind of kick into autopilot and you just have to kind of trust that you're going to be okay and your mm. autopilot's going to get you there. <laughs> and that's I think that could get me where because sometimes when Henry was having to throw to first, the way it was described, and we haven't even talked about this yet on the pod, about how well the sport is written, how well the baseball is written in the book. The coverage of the actual baseball incidents in the game and in the book, I think, are written really, really well. But when he was having to throw that ball to first, he was kind of having this inner monologue. And that really reminded me of, of being incredibly stressed or incredibly nervous about something and just kind of hoping that everything was going to be okay. I could associate with that. 
I wouldn't yeah. describe it necessarily as the yips, but I could definitely sort of be, he was like, I'm just going to throw it and I hope it's okay. And he almost like just close your eyes and just pleading the ball to get to its destination. I think I've had that experience in life when it's like, just stay, say something. It's okay. You're going to be fine. And you're kind of talking to yourself in your head and you're just trusting that the words that are coming out of your mouth are okay. Mm. that that for me is that's my steve blast disease but it's i mean and even it seems, that, it seems you've gotten over it <laughs> it doesn't even <laughs> seem like a disease at all to you, to you. well no but it's something that you th it's something that happens Are I mean, you glazing I'm, over right now no i'm <laughs> fine now i'm okay. fine now but i could i mean i could i i could do this i'm not live so it's fine um i think but what no. thing about the mon like that inner monologue like that's part of the beauty of the book is that people who don't really know baseball will be able to read that as just great writing. It's, it's mm. really good fiction. But if you like baseball and you know about baseball, then there's like a whole nother level of appreciation. The way he writes the game is so good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah it's re so it really cool. works. And it doesn't, yeah, you're right. It doesn't hinder the enjoyment uh, to people who don't like baseball, who, who don't very, who know, who know little about baseball. It's yeah. just written as, um, just written really well. Um, Okay, I want to move on a little bit. There's um, something I really want to talk about, which is, I mean, it's kind of a, I don't know if it's technically an exclusive, but we, I hadn't, I'd heard there might be something happening with a film adaptation. It was nice to get it straight from the horse's mouth about that. And, the, you know, something we should be looking for in the next year or so is this film adaptation. Who would you like to see cast in a film adaptation of The Art of Fielding? And you can be as serious or as... Uh, focused and sensible as you like with this answer and we'll start with you ash so this is something i've given a thought about for like a long time because it's been my favorite book since i read it like one of my favorite novels anyway so i've always thought like who if they're going to do a movie or a netflix series or whatever who could play who and i mean the five main characters i think i always start with henry like whoever you're going to have cast as henry is going to be like the pivot of the film like that that's he's the main character so I was like, some, I kind of, because he starts off as pretty scrawny. So I'm kind of thinking like, uh, my first instinct was like Tom Holland. Like Tom Holland can, mm. he can do the American accent. He's very uh, athletic. But then I was also like um, Asa Butterfield, who is in the Sex Education Netflix show. He's got that kind of like. Yeah, yeah, I see it. Yeah. He's ever young and he's got like that vulnerable look to him. I think he'd be able to handle the, the, uh, the, the, well, the, the whole, all the moments in the book when Henry kind of goes off a cliff, basically, and all those vulnerable moments, I thought like between Asa Butterfield and Tom Holland, I thought those those two guys, if you want to go serious casting, I think that they're a good pair. One one of those guys for me for Henry. I think Asa Butterfield is sort of that he had a he was in a lot of films as a child as well, wasn't he? So he has mm -hmm. that inherent sense of vulnerability that you've sort of seen him grow up on screen. So it'd be kind of it would work quite well with Henry. Actually, that's a really good shout um phil what about you uh i think tom holland was an inspired choice as well though i could really really um see him in that role um gosh i don't know i mean i don't even know who's who's trending upwards in, in, in hollywood at the moment well it can be from um, any any well, it can be from anyone from any time you could say a a, a, a 25 year old i don't know and go you know we have it's it's, it's a hypothetical it's, dimension so when i was reading it's interesting when i was reading the book and i was thinking about the characters in my head there was only one of the characters that ever had the face of 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 an actor if if you get me and that was Gwert. 
and that whenever I read about the character of Gwert, I always, I think it was his silver hair and the fact that he was very well spoken um, that I just kept thinking of Jeremy Irons. Like the character of Gwert was, was it looked, well, was Jeremy Irons. So um, he'd be my pick for Gwert. I don't know if that ages work. How much is, how old is Gwert? He was in the 60s. 60s. Okay. Whereas Jeremy Irons is <laughs> perhaps older than that. I mean, if he's listening, I apologize. <laughs> oh, he's seventy. Okay. Mine was mine were all about the the like the more peripheral guys, the the the, the fringe guys on the on the actual team. Oh so, yeah. Um, Starblind. You had like Starblind and um, mm. uh, what was the the Sunny? Was he called Sunny Kim or something? The the he was the Korean guy. I can't mm. remember his name. Uh, but it was when I was thinking about the the collection of people the collection of that kind of locker room of the team it kind of reminded me of um and all that there are a couple of times when there was a lot of banter going around the guys on the team and they play that game on the bus where they have to i'd say if it was a they have to say if it was a correctional facility or a school oh yeah yeah <laughs> and all that kind of stuff like they, they, they there's a lot of that in the book which i perhaps would have liked to have had a little bit more of actually so because for me that was a lot of comic relief the yeah all of that stuff that was happening it was but it but it but it felt quite real it felt quite authentic i thought it was written quite an authentic way um but no i was i was just thinking of everybody uh wants some have you seen that film yeah um, so that that all of that stuff i kind of i, I would like to have all of that in this film and that have uh yeah that what i thought that would be but there's no specific actors there but just that kind of feel um but i thought would work really well but it's kind of got a massive task to to bring this to the big screen because i yeah. think it's yeah i think in a lot of ways it'd be really difficult to make a film of this uh, to give to have because it's a long book anyway um but so to develop the characters enough and we've already talked about how some of the characters aren't perhaps as developed as they might ought to have been um and also the, I think the hardest thing is going to be pulling off the actual scenes, the actual baseball, and making that look and feel authentic, and make it making it look good. It's going yeah. to be really difficult because so often baseball or sport in general in films so often just looks awful. Because mm. um, they know that it's going to be discussed on podcasts if they get it wrong, right? It's <laughs> yeah. good material for that. <laughs> well, I just think it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Mm. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the film. I think it. I think I've thought for a while actually that it that it that it would be a really good book to make into a film. It'd have a very broad appeal. I think. Um, I think it would lend itself well to a screenplay, definitely. Mm. I think with. The... Sorry, carry on. Sorry, see. Uh, yeah, I think uh, with casting, I think Schwartz was the one I really struggled with the most. Yeah. Like trying to think of someone who embodies that like gruffness of Schwartz and the physicality. I, I was trying to think of like young actors that because he's, he's. I mean, I suppose at the start of the book when we meet him, he's at most like early twenties because he's still in college, so he can't be more than twenty one, twenty two. Mm. But he's big. He's big. big and strong, and he's got a lot. Yeah, he's got a. He's quite dark, isn't he? Dark hair. Yeah. While I was uh, researching, thinking about who could be him. Literally, the only person I found was probably I found a photo of Liam Hemsworth, the other Hemsworth, and he had a baseball glove on and he had a big beard. And I was like, "Yeah, okay, he he could be Schwartz." There you go. I I, I that's yeah. the only thing I could find. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what about um, 
Chef Spiridakis, who plays uh, who plays <laughs> Chef Spiridakis in the film. I think you've got someone in mind, have you? I would do it. I would definitely do it. Great... <laughs> I mean, I've, I've I've got Chad's email address. I'll make sure we stay in touch. Um, all right, and then the, the, perhaps um, I think the chef might be cu- cut. You know, I think he's going to be one of those characters that that might not make it. Well, there's the case I don't want to see the film. <laughs> um, and then, what do you think of when we talked about spoilers? But what do you think about the the actual ending? Not so much the denouement, but like the that last scene. Because I'm conscious a little bit of time thinking about wrapping up. Like the that the scene of them going out to to just to practice on the field. For me, that was a really nice ending to the book. It brought everything back to baseball, and it brought it all back to these guys just really enjoying the sport of baseball and i thought for me it worked really really well what what was your um what was your thinking ash i yeah i 100 percent agree um if you like you said when you, if you read any reviews some of the people talk about the contentiousness of the overall ending but that final chapter that brings henry and schwartz back together and henry's fielding grounders just like you meet him at the start of the novel I, I, lo- I love that. It's it's very symbolic. Um, it reunites the characters after the whole journey they've been on. Um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy the way they finished that book. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought, I, yeah, everything was brought full circle. Um, and there was hope. There was hope at the end of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a perfect ending. I was talking to, uh, I was talking to my friend Ben, um, and he's really excited because he really likes the podcast, but he ha- he's not not a massive baseball fan. So he doesn't watch a lot of baseball, but this is a book that he's read. So he was kind of thinking it's going to be exciting. He can actually listen to podcasts having read a book about uh, the one that we've been discussing. And he said it really reminded me of, it really reminded him of the ending of The Big Lebowski. Um, and uh, there's that that final scene where they just go bowling and that's that it just closes really, really nicely. And it kind of reaffirms their love of the of the game of bowling and just how much their lives revolve around bowling and i thought that it, it would when i think about the film i think about that closing scene and that would have to be work that would have to work really well it was a really good way to close a film is just mm. have these two guys in the field just that repetitive action just over and over again and there's think there's like 50 balls yeah and they just had yeah. to go out with a bucket of 50 balls and then, yeah i just thought that was brilliant it really like you say phil brought it full circle worked mm. really well i think i really love that battle that henry is having with himself more than anything like that constant strive per- for perfection and then just when he seems like maybe he's back maybe he's got it there's like another little twist and schwartz is like oh, i got one more for you and then it kind of mm. leaves it not on a cliffhanger as such but there's just a little bit like you said there's hope yeah. it's like oh has he got it has he got his his mojo back and do we think that after that, and we're getting into the realms of the hypothetical again. I mentioned it with Chad. He sort of says that they these characters still slightly exist. I thought it was really sweet, actually, that how he said that they kind of still exist in his imagination. And um, where do you think they might be? Not so much today, but do you think that Henry makes it? Do you think that he he goes on and gets drafted again and has a successful career in, in baseball, Phil? I'll start with you. I hope so. I hope so. It would be gutting if that wasn't the case. But... Uh... I see him as first base coach, <laughs> which is uh, what the, the, the spoiler alert, uh, a position that he um, occupies temporarily uh, towards the end of the book. Um, I imagine Schwartz is still at Westish, um, he's taking got a pretty, the role of, of coach. I mean, that's pretty, that, yeah. He sounds and, like he's got a pretty good setup there. Yeah, yeah, contract. Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, and not just focusing on baseball, but focusing on uh, American football as well. Yeah, I had a feeling that Schwartz would almost certainly be still at Westish. Like, it's a part of him. And I thought, if he's not at least the baseball coach, he's certainly, like, the director of the entire athletic program. Like, I can mm. just imagine him overseeing it. And what about Pella? Do you think Pella stays? Do you think she goes on to open her restaurant that starts with all the white furniture and... Is that is that fern is that restaurant going to be what's the, the the French restaurant called in the um... Maison something I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> is she going to like open a competing restaurant uh, in 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 the town? And are they still together? I would like to think so. I'd like to think after the journey they went on through the book that it's united them together because it does feel like they kind of put their differences aside towards the end and mm. kind of come come together. Cool. All right. Well, I think we should stop it there because we could we could probably hypothesize all night about uh about what happens um but yeah in summation a really enjoyable book i thought um yeah if any, if anyone can sum up, uh, sum up better than me then feel free five stars five stars yeah, yeah certainly five stars <laughs> okay cool all right um we'll leave it there just before we um just before we go ash it'd be uh good if you could sort of shout out shout out to yourself shout shout out to yourself <laughs> about uh where you, where you can be found on twitter and give your give your uh give your blog another plug it'd be great yeah sure so um yeah you can find me on twitter at ashday29 um i write some baseball content uh, and i have my own blog on my beloved cleveland indians um so it's englandtribe.blogspot.com you can find the link on my twitter um so if you want to know what a uk born baseball fan knows about cleveland despite having never been there you uh there's plenty to enjoy <laughs> okay awesome um all right and i just wanted to say thank you actually to marcus cleaver because he uh provided a question good question in the last uh episode and i forgot to attribute him um and also i've already said to bat ben contributing question this time um so thanks to that thanks to ben and um yeah we'll leave it there thanks very much everybody We'll be back soon, I hope, with another episode. But for now, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.